Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. This podcast is sponsored by Rask Invest, Owen's complete guide to money and investing. Visit the Rask Finance website to learn more and join today. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Australian Investors Podcast, a series exploring the investment philosophies and journeys of some of Australia's leading investors and financial thinkers. I'm Owen Raskovich, founder of The Rask Group. For show notes and other episodes in this series, as well as free educational resources, please visit www.raskfinance.com. Before we go on, it's important to remember the Australian Investors Podcast is provided for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment, financial or taxation decision. The information included in this podcast does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives and guests appearing on the show may have a financial interest in some of the products mentioned. Please read all the important disclosure documents and refer to the RAS Group's Financial Services Guide on the RAS Finance website. By the time I was in my early 20s, I had saved up enough money to do something meaningful. According to most of the voices in my life, the obvious and only answer was to buy a house with my money. But having studied and read the books of Buffett, Munger, Lynch and many others, I had already formed the view that the Australian dream wasn't the most efficient way for me to invest my money. As I was already invested in shares and studying, I was familiar and comfortable looking at balance sheets and cash flow statements of businesses. For me, incoming cash flow was the most important measure. 
I needed a reliable income stream that was ticking along in the background while I continued to work. So I went online and looked for local businesses for sale with the idea that I could find a cash flow rich business. I had hoped to use my capital to get a loan to buy the business and ideally it would have a spare room that no matter how grungy it might be, it would double as my office. At first, I focused on businesses with defensive income streams and then businesses that I didn't need to make a hire for. I looked at laundromats near universities and schools because I was pretty handy with small motors like washing machines and dryers. Then I looked at chicken shops, restaurants and cafes because heck, everyone loves a coffee. But ultimately, after going from business to business, I realized that these businesses were incredibly tough. They were competitive and my time would be consumed by operating them. I also realized that the best businesses were either not for sale or outside of my price range. I wanted higher quality, scalability, and all of those good things for less than a few hundred grand. My guest for this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny is the co-founder of Equitize, a crowdsourcing platform which allows small investors to buy part of private companies. Traditionally, this quote-unquote pre-IPO industry had been reserved for established venture capital funds, sophisticated investors, and fund managers. Equitize democratizes this market for investors of all sizes and makes its money by taking a small cut from the amount of money raised on its platform. For many reasons, investing in private companies is at the higher risk end of the equity market. So please keep that in mind during this conversation. Having said that, while savvy small company investors often achieve a hit rate of less than 40%, Over time, they could unearth one or two companies with significant long-term potential. In this conversation, Johnny tells us how he got involved in finance, the genesis of the Australian and Kiwi crowdsourcing industry, how a few beers and an idea with a mate led to him quitting his job and starting a business within two months, and why crowdsourcing could have a big future ahead. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Johnny Wilkinson, co-founder of Equitize. Welcome to the show, Johnny. Um, The traditional way we start with the show is to profile you, um, your upbringing, see if we can draw some parallels between your experiences prior to becoming a founder and investor um, and see how those experiences were born out over your lifetime and and how they shaped you today. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about you as a youngster. Where did you grow up? Um, Did you have any, I suppose, mentors or role models that you pulled from? Some experiences would be great. Sure. So I was born in Newcastle, um, grew up, uh, father was a doctor, mother was a nurse. Uh, that evolved into her being a, uh, a mother and then running the business. So dad had sort of medical practice mm. and uh, commercial buildings alongside of that. Um, you know, I started doing the books at age 12, 13 with mum. Oh, wow. So I was sitting there on Quicken, you know, typing yeah. things in while she was reading it out. Um I suppose a lot of things probably uh, helped form who I am today and, and my interests and ideas around business. Um, on both sides of my family, I come from a line of entrepreneurs. Um, so there is obviously that bug and uh, that in my uh, in my blood. Um, I can't pinpoint any one thing that uh, led me to my interests or desire to be involved with business. I've just always kind of uh, had had an idea um, and thought that I wanted to be in business and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been very inquisitive. Um, as a kid, they used to call me 20 questions. 
I like to understand how things work. Um, that's one of the great parts about what we do mm. uh, in my everyday role with Equitizers. I get to speak to um, passionate entrepreneurs doing new and exciting things and mm. uh, try and work out how their business uh, operates and you know what opportunities there are. So yeah, look, I had a pretty pretty lucky upbringing in a uh, great family. Um, I went to a good school, uh, went to a decent university and studied economics and finance, mm. which was my view of how to get into um, the business world. Um, so you never wanted to become a doctor? Never wanted to become a doctor, okay. no. I'm one of four kids. None of us ever wanted to become a doctor. <laughs> right. Um, I've got a bit of a theory about that. It's a combination of kind of how much how much time uh doctors spend on call and then how much they make is mm. is a uh, bit, pretty strong uh, determinant of whether or not their kids want to become doctors. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, um, so, yeah, so uh, have an interest in medicine and biotechnology um, and that's sort of strong in the family but uh, ne- never wanted to become a doctor. Mm, okay. uh, always in, interested in business, that sort of thing. Yeah, because I, I, when I was looking, um, doing some digging on you and Equitize, I noticed that you, you studied at the University of Sydney. Is that right? Yeah, went to the University of Sydney, studied yeah. economics and finance. Um, probably didn't attend as much class as I should. Mm, um, you know, uh, was busy. I worked full time effectively while I was at uni, had lots happening, mm. um, involved with, you know, um, running events and parties and things like that at uni, uh, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, um, I probably saw university as, as a bit of a box ticking exercise. Mm. Um, I did meet some great people uh, and learn some very important things. One of the people I, I met was uh, was Chris, my business partner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was very important. Um, I was probably less focused on the study and more on uh, everything else at university brought which is a good start I, I, i'm funny i love knowledge but i hate studying um okay if you give me a set syllabus or way of learning something it seems to turn me off but no I, you know curious and, and love knowledge always sort of asking questions so you're an avid reader perhaps but not so uh yeah. i don't get a lot of time to read these days okay. um i consume knowledge however possible but yeah no i've, I've only read a few books in the past year more of my energy goes into uh, into running Equitize, but um, yeah, look wherever I, I can interact or uh, you know consume knowledge or, or facts or those sorts of things, I mm. always do. Yeah, it's always an interesting thing. I think with the guests on this show, is that it's curiosity that drives them forward and, and, and ultimately leads them to success, whichever way they go about it. Uh, so let's jump from when you finish university. Uh, I believe you started at uh, City Investment Bank. Yep. And this was around the time of the GFC, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was right in the sort of thick of the GFC. Right. So how did you, I'm curious because there'll be some students that listen to this show. How did you get the job? Because I imagine there wasn't too many opportunities at the time. No. So um, funny story goes, I um, was an intern over the summer, um, had expected that I was going to need to go back for a semester, managed to work it so I didn't. I was then going to go traveling for the rest of the year. Um, this was right in the thick of the GFC. City uh, wasn't running a graduate program that mm-hmm. year, or there was there was I think two graduates uh, hired right. in Australia, uh, and they offered me a job in equity markets, which was quite interesting and I was quite keen on. I spoke to a few people that uh, had become sort of mentors or, or I, I looked up to and and uh, sought advice from at City. 
and a few of them were you know pretty uh, seasoned veterans of uh, finance and some said look I've never seen it this bad before if you go away for six 12 months might not be anything when you come back mm. grab the job and go with it So I did that, um, started working straight away, um, was working in equity markets, was doing things in middle office, working with um, the management, doing client reporting, did a few different things, started trading and operating Mm -hmm. um, and sort of was trying to work my way up, uh, obviously um, with GFC and the sort of structural decline of uh, stockbroking and equity markets, um, the opportunities that, that I thought. Uh, weren't really presenting and, and the path I was on wasn't going where I'd hoped. So um, Chris and I, over a few drinks at a mate's birthday dinner, got chatting and knew what was happening in the world around equity crowdfunding and changes in the space and decided to give it a go. So he, he was also in the finance industry for those few years while you were at City, right? Yeah, so Chris had worked at Deloitte in uh, audit and corporate advisory Um and had been involved in sort of uh, TMT transactions, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he'd gone and worked for a, um, a SaaS startup for, for a period of time running their operations. Okay. But both of us were sort of at a stage where we were, you know, looking for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke up the next day with a bit of a sore head and, and wasn't <laughs> sure if anything would come of it. Um, and then literally two or three days later um, on my Iris feed, something came up saying... AWI Ventures looking to make some early stage investments in fintech. Hmm. And I copied and pasted the article, sent it to Chris and said, mate, this is fate. We've got to do it. Um, so AWI Ventures is now a uh, listed company, InvestSmart. Um, they own some self-managed, self-directed hmm. uh, wealth brands. They'd set up an accelerator program to invest in um, some fintech companies. Mm-hmm. That is now known as H2 Ventures, run by Ben and Toby Heap. Um, and that's no longer a part of uh, InvestSmart. But they were looking at uh, kicking off an accelerated program in, in the fintech space. So I'm interested. So you you, sit, you have this idea over a few drinks. You wake up the next day or a few days later, Chris says to you, like, look at this. And um, what then? Do you go to AWI and you say, this is our idea? Or do you have to bring up, create a full business plan? I mean, this is a relatively new idea to you. Yeah, so um, it was a bit of a pitch deck um, and a very basic sort of uh, model with numbers, sort of a top-down analysis. Yep. So it was predicated off the changes in the legislation and what had happened in the US and then um, um, more relevant was the UK had changed their laws around equity crowdfunding and it looked as though Australia was uh, going to be following soon thereafter. Mm. And working off the fact that, you know, at that stage, there was approximately half a million self-managed super funds with an average balance of a million dollars. If we took a very small allocation of that mm-hmm. um, and people saw this as an uh, alternative asset um, and, and allocated some funds towards that, then, you know, that's a, that's a pretty decent opportunity to channel some investment into some early stage mm-hmm. uh, companies in Australia and uh, potential for some, some good returns for in- investors. So... Yeah, you know, we had a pretty uh, simple pitch deck and model. We sort of followed a little bit of the lean methodology um, and presented sort of what what we expected and uh, pitched it to their board uh, after going through a a series of 
questions and, and, and interviews and process uh, and got accepted into the accelerator program. Wonderful. So do they simply provide working spaces and, and working capital for you? Or did you have to, because I imagine you have a, dare I say, a pretty cushy job at City, pretty well paid, I'm guessing. And then you take a step and you take this risk? Yeah, so um, so what they do in the accelerator program is they give you 100k, um, 50k of cash, and 50k of services. Oh, cool. um, they right. set you up, get everything going for the first six months. House you, as the name suggests, they accelerate your business. So they provide you with expertise, contacts, help you evolve and iterate your business idea, which is what happened. And then sort of they help you onwards and upwards. Mm-hmm. So we went through that process we both quit our jobs weren't drawing a salary living off what savings we had and sort of needed to do that until we then were able to raise some venture capital funding mm-hmm. uh to then sort of uh, grow the business and and start paying ourselves a wage so it was the just the two of you or was there someone else? so initially chris and i um and then we had a technical co-founder um a guy called panche mm-hmm who uh, Chris had built a few websites with before. So he helped build the first version of the platform uh, so we could kind of prove out the business model and, and get everything up and going. Yeah, because I was going to say, it, it seems that the two of you are more of a finance background. In, in terms of technical knowledge, that's the realm that you two operated in. And what, what I see today of Equitize is it it's quite, looks like a quite nimble software or platform business. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it is uh, inherently a, a technology company. Uh, it's an investment platform uh, and we do have a pretty slick platform that has tech underpinning it all that allows people to electronically identify themselves and invest without interacting with any any of us uh, pretty quickly and easily. Um, so yeah, it's come a long way. Um, our CTO, Alex, is is a guru. He's, he's great. Um, and yeah, we've got a, got a good platform and a, a position where we're really happy and it can facilitate a lot of investment and there's more to come uh, we're always looking to improve and make the experience better for both companies and investors so we're always trying to trying to change that but yeah technology is a huge part of what we do and um, without sort of the people that we had help us along the way Chris and I without any real technology background would uh, would have struggled definitely mm. so we've, we've skirted around it a little bit now but let's go back to that original idea that you and Chris had yeah. And perhaps you can explain the genesis of Equitize, what it is today, who it serves, and why it solves a problem. For sure. So Chris and I, a friend of ours, had worked, uh, was one of the sort of founders of AngelList, which is oh, yep. a well-known US uh, venture capital-style investment platform. Mm-hmm. They help facilitate the venture and angel uh, ecosystem and technology companies sort of hiring in the US, particularly sort of Silicon Valley. Yep. Um, so they'd had some great success and, and uh, really good business that was doing well. Um, so we were aware of that. Um, we both had an interest in sort of high growth companies. Uh, I had a bit more of a sort of bent in uh, biotechs. Um, I'd always sort of invested a lot of my my personal money into that uh, and had become acutely aware of the Australian venture capital industry and biotech industry mm. uh, were effectively broken. Um, you know, we have some of the best research and development in the world, but we can't commercialize it. Um, a lot of companies will 
um, before Sliss on the ASX too early and then through the course of uh, clinical trials and those sorts of things have issues getting funding or their share mm. prices pushed down and, you know, they have to raise more money at a lower valuation and all these sorts of things. Whereas if you look to the US, most established um, VC market in the world, you know, um, they're very effective at funding this sort of stuff and companies won't list until they're getting towards the final phases of, of trials and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I had a bit of a personal bent in that, you know, always uh, very interested in high growth companies doing innovative things. Uh, Chris similarly had um, had an interest in the space and had witnessed some of, uh, you know, some of the inefficiencies and, and uh, some of the ways the market was broken, uh, had, having worked in advisory and, and, and that space. Mm. So, uh, yeah, both of us were, were quite passionate around the opportunity for channeling investment um, from everyday investors towards high-growth venture capital-style uh, investment opportunities that helps mm. obviously underpin growth and employment in the economy and, you know, allows Australia to turn out some, some exciting companies. Yeah. So perhaps I can... Just round that off and just say a company, a small company, presumably it doesn't have to be very small, but it could be small, comes to your platform and says, this is our business plan. You mm-hmm. vet them. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the platform, you have investors, so uh, retail investors who can invest and take a small slice in that company. Is that, is that that's right? Yep. Yep. So most of the company is a little bit more established than just having a business plan. Yep. Most of them are operational, okay. um, have some form of validation. They might not be profitable. Um but are looking at the next stage of growth and might be raising anywhere from a, you know, a couple hundred thousand to a few million mm-hmm. um, to really sort of drive their growth. Uh, that might be in combination with money from angel investors, mm-hmm. venture capital, friends and family, strategic investors, whoever it might be. Um, but you know, we're allowing everyday investors the ability to buy shares and, and have a small stake in these companies. Yeah, I think an example might uh, work well here, and one of the examples that I have is uh, Booktopia. Mm-hmm. The uh, that you buy and sell books. I bought many books from them online. Yep. Um, I believe they raised or are raising. Yeah, so they're currently raising three million dollars through us. Um, they are Australia's biggest online book retailer. Yep. They bought Angus and Robinson when it was. Um, going into liquidation so yeah they're an exciting company that's literally grown from a few guys spinning up a website on the side Mm. um investing a little bit of money to market it now they do 120 million dollars of sales and have grown um consistently uh over over the past uh five or ten years and look like they have great opportunity to continue to grow it's a fantastic example of a company that has you know few million uh people that know and use the brand mm. um want to support it um most of them are very passionate about this sort of thing and you know if if they have the opportunity to invest from 250 dollars, you know it's a great way of, of allowing everyday investors um you know the opportunity to invest in companies they believe in and, and if the company does well then um hopefully you know the, the investors do well as well mm-hmm. we'll dig into that a, a little bit more in just a moment but can you give me an example, uh, a reason why a company such as Booktopia or just any other company would come to you, and, and you alluded to this earlier, and come to you instead of going to the ASX directly? Mm-hmm. So, look, um, listing on the ASX can bring a lot of burden and compliance and costs mm-hmm. to companies. A lot of companies might be at a stage of growth where being listed isn't beneficial, um, you know, particularly 
if you don't have uh, stable earnings and there's volatility or, or variance in your model, it can be very hard to be listed. And if people concentrate on results and that's moving up and down, then people find it hard to value companies um, mm. and people might not want to hold on to some of those companies. But also the, the requirements of being listed for a company that should many cases be really focused on growing the business as quickly as they can is not relevant not appropriate and is too much of a distraction Mm -hmm. so it can be really important um, that those companies that are trying to grow can access funds without being dragged down or distracted by an ipo which is a very long involved and costly process Mm -hmm. and you know often does take the management away from running the business which you know which can often be at the, the worst possible time in their growth plans yeah that makes sense and, and obviously um uh, an opportunity for them down in the future if they are successful is they can always go and list on the for sure and that's what we encourage and that's what we're all about um if it's appropriate for a company down the track to list equity crowdfunding is fantastic because it helps you build a group of investors that uh ideally will uh be there when you list maybe invest some more money at the point you're doing an ipo and we'll be there to help support and um, grow the business so yeah look we are all about helping companies grow and access capital and take the right journey that that is fit for them some companies might never make sense to list and if that's the case and that's fine we just ensure that that's uh, understood and, and, and company can articulate that to potential investors. Mm-hmm. But being listed isn't the only way that re- investors get returns. Mm-hmm. A company could be acquired, a company could start paying dividends or you know, there's, there's, there's a number of ways that it can happen. So yeah, we're big believers in encouraging and helping businesses and supporting them to do what's best at a particular point in time. Mm. Let's circle back to the, the growth of the business in those early days. You, you said before that the opportunity was such that the UK and the US had these industries that were growing rapidly, but here in Australia, there were still some legislative issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have to go to New Zealand to start the business? Yeah, so the story goes, Chris and I quit our jobs um, in 2014, um, began the Accelerator program. We had the platform underway and we were not far off being ready to launch and the process for the changes in legislation had uh, sort of stalled in Australia. Soon after we realised that, we got on a plane and went to New Zealand. We did a tour of the early stage markets, spoke to lawyers, investors, accountants, um, companies. A lot of people liked the way we were talking uh, mm-hmm. of operating. Um, and we saw there was a great opportunity. We'd always had in mind that we'd do Australia and then New Zealand, but given the timing Um, It made sense to go to New Zealand first. They'd changed their laws in 2013. So we could get, uh, you know, licensed and operating pretty quick uh, in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So after we did our trip, we came back here. We had a board meeting and a couple of advisors uh, that we had around us. At the time, we sort of said it makes sense for us to go to New Zealand. Um, And then uh, made more sense for me to go over and help get things set up and Chris stay here. So... I got on a plane and moved to New Zealand for just under 18 months. We got business set up and licensed. We hired a couple of guys and, and sort of got things going in New Zealand, which has been a fantastic way of us establishing the business, growing the user base. You know, we're big believers in 
in the long run we'll have Aussies investors in Kiwi companies, Kiwis investing Aussie companies, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, culturally we're very similar, and um, you know, uh, I, I think there's great opportunity and there's great companies. Uh, on both sides of the ditch. New Zealand has some amazing opportunities um, and some really good people in their tech scene. Um, so, you know, being able to access that from Australia is also a great opportunity. It's you know, On the one hand, it makes me a bit you know, upset that Australia can't move forward with these legislative things as, as, as probably as quickly as we would like. Uh, but it has changed in recent years. I'm interested... with these with these When I look at platform businesses, the way I think that there's two sides, there's suppliers or... Buyers from the buyers and sellers, right? We've got in your case the we've got the companies who are supplying shares or the opportunity, and then you have the investors who are buying shares, and you're the platform in the middle. Sometimes it can be a bit chicken and egg with platform type businesses. How was it in the early days when you were attracting companies? Were you what were you, what were you pitching to them to do? Yeah, look, I mean, um, initially it was uh, a bit more Chris and I leveraging our personal and professional networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we were doing the analog to the digital of the platform. We were putting people together and that sort of thing. Um, we don't make any any apologies and uh, don't try and hide the fact that with equity crowdfunding, globally, the stats have kind of played out. It's still roughly two-thirds of funding will come from a company's first, second, third degrees of connection. Right. So it might be stakeholders, um, clients, people that you know went to school with the founders, or you know things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, you know we're a very effective uh, marketing and distribution platform for those people to access and be able to invest. Um, it's licensed and regulated, so there's some protection, and, and it um, happens in a in a particular fashion that gives people um, you know a level of. Uh, trust and understanding and you know we wrap around that um, and then the rest of the money comes from the platform and our investors and early on that was kind of our network so we were showing people we knew that might be interested in specific companies the, the investment opportunities we had and and uh, broking it a little bit more than w- what we do now you know we still do that we still look to pick up the phone and call you know, a particular contact that it has an interest in real estate tech if a particular deal comes up or, you know, something in hospitality or, or whatever it might be um, because leveraging that is, is also really effective. And then we have the investors who are signed up and ready to go on the platform. We know what um, they are interested in. So we try and, as best as we can, show people uh, deals that are relevant to them and, and, and encourage them to, uh, you know, to interact and, and if they are interested, invest. Is there, are there any, um, I suppose, from a legislative point of view, are there any re- uh, requirements for the investor or uh, are there any caps or any issues to deal with like that? Yeah, sure. So, in essence, uh, it all has to happen through a license intermediary, which is the which technical is term, which is platform like us, Equitize. So an investor needs to sign up, acknowledge the risk warnings, um, our sort of terms and conditions, all that usual sort of stuff when you're yeah. signing up to any, any sort of financial service. Um, then uh, each offer they uh, are shown, there's an offer document, which is effectively like a cut down version of a prospectus or like an IM. Yep. And it has um, some mandated requirements of what needs to be disclosed and then whatever, what 
other information we think or the company thinks is appropriate um, and you know, we, we like to give investors as, as much of an understanding as they can of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so before they invest, they need to acknowledge that they've uh, read and understood that. Uh, they understand the risks, acknowledge the risk warning again. And then the only real restriction is they, they can't invest more than $10,000 into each company every 12 months. Right. Okay. So you could have multiple companies. It's yep. just you can't go over that limit. Is it, and that's the rule for uh, retail investors, but I imagine yes. it's slightly different rules for <clears throat> sophisticated? Or? So as has always been the case with sophisticated or wholesale investors, ASIC is comfortable that they have the wherewithal and understanding that um, they can invest whatever they like and they aren't restricted. Mm-hmm. So if you sign up to our platform and provide us with your sophisticated investor certificate or if you're a wholesale investor, um, you know, pr- proof of that, then you can invest as much as you like in, in any one offer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I read a stat uh, on your website. I believe the average investment was in a few thousand dollars per per investment in a company, but then there was one that I noticed you raised and it looked like there was about $1.7 million raised for the company from about 57 investors. So I imagine there's a few you know, heavy hitters, uh, it's a bit, there's a bit of skew in there. For sure. Yeah, so we do a number of different types of deals. Um, we do IPOs um, and quite often we're you know putting a, a small allocation into IPO, trying to encourage um, the company to get more investors for spread. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a few IPOs now. Most recent one was a company called Identity. We got um, some 200, 250-odd investors into that. Um, mm-hmm. We effectively did the retail distribution and worked alongside um, the brokers on that. So we do everything from that, which is full-blown. You know, anyone can invest. They're not capped on how much they can invest unless we've, we've restricted that to help, help get the numbers up. Then we also do the public retail equity crowdfunding deals then we do wholesale deals and some of those are private so yeah for instance sometimes we might have a wholesale deal raising 1.7 and there's 50 odd investors so across the different deals the average i think is four to five thousand dollars on the retail equity crowdfunding um uh, average is one to two thousand ipos it's about five thousand maybe a little bit higher and then on wholesale deals can vary it can be anywhere from five to 50 and the average is probably around call it 15. Mm-hmm. As a, an investor who isn't afraid to go down to small caps on the stock exchange and invest in, in very niche businesses uh, I think it's great that the, these platforms are coming or your platform has opened up to retail investors because it gives us that opportunity to perhaps even go, go even further or just to, to invest in businesses that aren't like you say um, held accountable for to listing rules or what have you. But, I mean, that comes hand in hand with risk, right? So we have to consider um, our risk tolerances and everything like that. Diversified portfolio, the, the disclaimer goes on. But from a, a logistical point of view, if a, an offer doesn't raise the required amount, mm-hmm. what happens to the money that, say, I would invest? Sure. So each of the offers we run, we will set a minimum. Mm-hmm. And that is normally uh, related to a minimum overall amount of money that needs to be raised, uh, and that number is normally something that the company's identified and that we've worked with them to get to a position where we're comfortable that getting that money into the business will give them sufficient runway and enough capital to achieve sort of a level of growth um, that they're not going to be underfunded and they're not going to be coming back raising money straight away mm-hmm. um, or, you know, 
uh, we're going to be putting investors into a, a company that, that doesn't raise enough money. So the minimum threshold set and if the minimum isn't hit, the money that comes from investors and sits in our um, statutory trust accounts until the deal um, closes gets returned. Okay. And um, I suppose that statutory trust account is important because you want to know where your money's going and, and who's uh, the custodian of that. Um, another risk that we have is liquidity. And we touched on it earlier on. A company could have what we call a liquid, liquidity event. I could invest in something on the equitized platform and then in two or three years that business might be ready to go onto the stock exchange and I could potentially sell my shares or keep holding them. Uh, is there any mechanism or have you are you working on anything that perhaps makes that easier to facilitate that liquidity event in the future? For sure. Look, um, we think it's important and to the long-term viability of, of the market that will need to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look to the UK, only seven years in, did they, um, the two biggest platforms being Crowdcube and Cedars, establish any formal secondary market? Mm-hmm. While we understand, you know, there's certain circumstances and instances where people might need to sell their investment, it isn't a liquid investment and you'll often uh, have to take a discount or the price might be hard to to validate if you are trying to sell your shares. Mm -hmm. So we want people to be aware of that as they go in. We will work with the companies and often, um, for instance, Zinja uses Boardroom as their share registry. Um, boardroom does have a facility for the transfer and sale of shares. So there's no um, lit secondary market, but we do what we can and, and we're appropriate with companies, encourage them to have a facility that we, we can help. You know, if we're aware of potential um, investors, if there's demand, you know, we can put them in touch with a company or, or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, look, over time, um, we we'll look to have some formal solution for secondary trading but that in itself is is quite um quite difficult quite mm. costly quite burdensome for everyone involved so you know we're, we're more about trying to encourage people to invest with their eyes wide open and understand you know this is a, a medium term horizon for many of these companies um and and what you might expect when investing in that sort of thing and as you said before you know the potential uh, returns factor in some of this uh, liquidity and the risks associated with investing mm. in this sort of asset class. Was when I was on the on the website, I, I come across this thing called a syndicate, and syndicate is a fairly common term in finance in the finance realm. Um, but I was interested in this particularly because, as an investor, I see what's on the stock market, and we always hear these claims that you know that there's fewer stocks on the market, or there's not as many tech stocks down you know, in the, in, in the lower end of the market that are high quality. Yeah. Can you explain what a syndicate is? Mm-hmm. Perhaps let's imagine we're talking to a beginner and yep. explaining the various parties yep. and why the lead of the syndicate would come to you. Sure. So um, in finance, syndicate can mean a lot of different things. In essence, it normally just means a group of investors. Mm-hmm. Um, on Equitize, we have our syndicates and all that really is trying to do is encourage your more traditional angel, venture capital, institutional investors to participate uh, on the platform. And the view and hope is that as that occurs and uh, these types of investors become more and more confident that uh, we will have a lot of deals where there is cross-pollination and your more um, institutional or venture capital style investor might be willing to have the crowd invest at the same time. That 
will happen over time and has, has happened as people become more familiar and understand how we work. But syndicates is a way where a lead investor, and they can be an individual, they can be a fund or, or whatever it might be, can formalize their uh, group of investors mm-hmm. and have them invest alongside of the lead investor to round out uh, capital raising. Mm-hmm. And we do that in a way where we have a structure and a facility that um, they can have those people grouped into a nominee structure, um, which makes it easier for the company and the investors and potentially as often funds do, they can apply some carry to that vehicle. So benefit that the lead investor might get would be if there's a profit and a return on positive return on investment that they might take a percentage of that, which is quite common in sort of venture capital, mm. private equity world. You hear the two and 20, which is um, 2% fee on the money invested and 20% carry on the profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so with syndicates, we have a facility whereby an investor can get some carry um, and use the structure to have people invest alongside of as, um, as we come to the end of this chat, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on where you feel crowdfunding is going in Australia uh, and also where you think, say, Equitize will be in five years. So, look, um, I think Australia is a great market, particularly for what we do. Um, we have a long history of the ASX being an early stage capital markets and some really great companies listing and growing and going on being successful. Um, also, with the backdrop of venture capital evolving in Australia and more money being allocated towards it, uh, particularly from super funds and other institutional investors, that has really helped develop the ecosystem mm-hmm. uh, and, and tech companies and the rest of the market are becoming more efficient at using less capital to grow and potentially have high growth investments and, and, and profitable businesses start from very little. I mean, you know, if you look at Atlassian, it's kind of a classic example mm-hmm. of a couple of guys in a garage with a credit card started a business that's now worth, um, you know, billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So making uh, early stage capital markets more efficient, channeling uh, and formalizing the ecosystem so that everyday investors and venture capital and angel investors and institutional investors can can all invest alongside of each other um, and doing that in uh, a structured way like we have with Equitize. So as investors become more more understanding and, and, and more educated around what equity crowdfunding is and where it sits in your portfolio as an asset allocation strategy, there's a lot of money, um, particularly in super, uh, self-managed super that can be directed towards equity crowdfunding. Um, if the ASX continues and there's not a lot of growth in the ASX, potential to invest in some unlisted securities and generate some returns there is, is obviously a great opportunity in the space. Um, and we look to see that evolve. You know, Australia, as I said, is, is a great, uh, great economy and we do have a good mentality and understanding around investing in all of these companies and supporting things that we, you know, we, we want to see succeed. So I, I think, you know, in Australia, we've got a particularly great opportunity to do that and equity crowdfunding will, will help with that. Mm-hmm. Where will Equitize be in five years? Um, hopefully a very significant presence in um, early stage capital markets in Australia. Be one of the leading, if not the leading, equity crowdfunding platforms and investment platforms that 
how um, you know helps great companies access funding and allows everyday investors to get exposure to an asset class that traditionally um, they've been locked out of. Mm-hmm. So you know we just about growing the market, educating people as to where this sits and the great opportunities that there are in equity crowdfunding. And if that works and we succeed, then you know we're going to have some great Aussie companies going on to um, tough it out with the the big boys in Silicon Valley and and. Um, and you know there'll be some some amazing successful stories coming out of Australia because uh, the ecosystem will, will have evolved and, and more funding is channeled towards great companies. Mm. Well, we can we can hope that that happens and and let's put some context around it. Um, people can visit the the Equitize website for more information on the latest offers. Uh, are, are you willing to share what the platform raised last year? We raised approximately twelve million dollars last year, I believe. Okay. Um, That's great. From 12 companies. So the retail equity crowdfunding only began last year on the 11th of January with Zinja being our first raise and they're raising again right now, yep, uh, almost a year to the date. Um, it's exceeded our expectations. It's raised a uh, million dollars in three days mm-hmm. um, and is onwards and upwards to five million, which is the, the cap on what um, a company can raise uh, through retail equity crowdfunding in any right. 12 months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, 2019, those numbers are going to be completely different. Yeah. Um, we're expecting something more like 20, 30, 40 companies and, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars, hopefully, um, and Great. keep on growing from there. Well, I hope I can circle back to this in a few years and, and uh, look at the success that you've had. So, like I said, people can find out more about Equitize on the website. Is there anywhere else you want them to go to find out more about you or business? Yeah, look, there's all, all the information really is on Equitize, www.equitize, E-Q-U-I-T-I-C.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's information about who's running the platform, mm-hmm. me, my partner, the team. That's the best way to look at the offers, ask questions as a chat function, email us, whatever. There's, there's you know, plenty of different ways to do it. But yeah, go to equitize.com. Great. I wanted to get your opinion on this just because I think it's important as we talk about this potentially higher risk. Someone goes to your, your website and they look at these offers. How would you think about personally where these are allocated in your portfolio in terms of the risk and the return profile? Sure. So this makes up the... Um, small percentage of alternative assets you would ho- hold in your portfolio. Yep. And traditional portfolio theory would suggest that's anywhere from 5, 10, 15 percent, mm-hmm. um, depending on your personal outlook, depending on your horizon and risk tolerance. Yep. Um, that could be more, you know, me personally as a young guy with superannuation that I see as my sort of long term nest egg, a mortgage that hopefully if you know, Aussie property stays on its long-term trend, will be worth enough um, in the future that a lot of um, my discretionary investment is put towards things like uh, what we have on Equitize. So high-growth companies, many of them unlisted. Yep. If you look at endowment funds and uh, some of the big investors in the US, they have up to 50 or 60% invested in venture capital and private equity, okay. those sorts of alternative assets. But... No, we would uh, encourage people that, you know, particularly as you're starting out and getting an understanding, this would make up that small allocation to alternative assets, diversify within what you're investing in. So don't put it all into tech startups doing a particular thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have anything from neobanks to gin 
distilleries to online book retailers. So, you know, as, as you would look at constructing a listed portfolio, make sure that you're not all in the same sector. And yeah, you know, it's an opportunity to slowly build and, and, and work out what the right allocation might be for you. We encourage people to get advice um, and speak to uh, whoever they need to um, before investing. But yeah, look, that's kind of how I look at it. I put more of an allocation and weight to it than, than what most investors probably would because I'm a bit closer to it, I understand it, and I've got a passion for it. And Absolutely. my horizon, you know, is, is, is 20 plus years. So, you know, theoretically, I, I can ride out a, a lot of bumps between now and then. For sure. And uh, last question, my favorite. If you could go back in time and tell a younger you just uh, one thing about investing, what would it be? Set rules and stick to them. <laughs> Great advice. Johnny, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again for tuning into the Australian Investors Podcast. For further episodes, head to www.raskfinance.com. To provide feedback, nominate a guest, or hear from me, you can find me on Twitter with the handle at Owen Rask. Cheers to our financial futures. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.